In today's Dhamma talk, I will talk about metta as having a good heart. Then I will place metta in a greater context, in the context of samatha meditation and specifically of the four Brahma Viharas. And in the last part, which is the biggest part, I will talk about the common ground of dana, sila, and metta, the common ground of generosity, virtue, and metta. And I want to begin with a short statement of the Dalai Lama, who once was asked to please explain his religion or what Buddhism is. And he simply said, my religion is kindness. As I said in my last talk, metta, kindness, friendliness, benevolence is not a Buddhist quality, but it's a quality of the heart and mind that can be found wherever living beings are. I know two Catholic nuns, Kathleen and Margaret. They have dedicated their life to be kind and friendly human beings. This is kind of their quote unquote missionary work. Simply to be kind and friendly. And at one time, they lived in a Muslim village in the Philippines, living there, just being nice neighbors. So they helped the people, for example, to fill in a form, or taking somebody to the doctor, or showing them how to plant medi medicinal plants, or teaching the women to uh, sew dresses for the little girls. And then, after living there in that village for eight years, they left the village and went to live in a different place. And the people in the village were very sad that the two nuns were leaving. And they said that these two Catholic nuns helped them to become better Muslims. And the two nuns, they said, after relating this story to me, that this was actually the most beautiful compliment they could get. Near the town of Mandalay, down there in the plain, there is a famous monastery where hundreds of novices and monks are learning the scriptures. It was established by Mahagandayon Sayadaw. He lived in the last century from 1900 to 1977. And so the monastery is called Mahagandayon Monastery in Amarapura, not far from Mandalay. And also Sayadaw Uindaka, he has studied there when Mahagandayon Sayadaw was still alive. And this monastery was known and is still known for its strict discipline, but also for its very high standard of teaching. Mahagandayon Sayadaw was a very learned monk, but he also had the gift of being able to teach the Dhamma in plain and simple words to lay people. He has written many books in Burmese, and one is Abhidhamma in daily life. So explaining the rather complicated matter of the Abhidhamma teachings in easily understandable words for lay people, or how this can be experienced, or these mental states, these mental factors, how they can experience in daily life. 
as far as I know, this is the only book of his many books that has been translated into English. So anyway, apart from keeping the monastic discipline very strictly, Mahagandayan Sayadaw also set up um, another list of 10 points to be followed. And the first and most important point is to have a good heart. Other points in this list include to keep one's clothes um, clean and tidy, or to make sure the environment is tidy and clean. And only the last and tenth point in this list was to learn and study well. And we must remember, this was a study monastery where the novices and monks studied and learned the scriptures. So I think it's quite um, significant that a wise and learned monk like Mahagandayan Sayadaw stressed the importance of having a good heart much more than passing all the exams well. And in the explanation to these 10 points, he said that one should act, speak, and think with a good heart, and always think of how one can benefit others and ourselves, always trying to avoid harming or hurting others and ourselves. So if our actions spring from a good heart, from a metta heart, then they will be beneficial and wholesome. So metta or metta meditation is one of the 40 objects for samatha meditation. And as you know, it belongs to the group of the four Brahma Viharas. We have already mentioned them, talked a little bit about them. You also know these four Brahma Viharas from our metta chants. And on the last page, you have a short explanation or just translation of these four Brahma Viharas and possible wishes, how this can be expressed. By now, you know by heart, metta is loving kindness, benevolence, friendliness, open-heartedness, or unconditional love. And a metta wish can be, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Or may all beings live at ease and in peace. Then karuna, that's compassion. And there the wish would be, may all beings be free from suffering. Or maybe, may all beings be free from danger and harm. Mudita, the third Brahma Vihara, is sympathetic joy, empathetic joy. And the possible wish is, may all beings enjoy safety and abundance. Or another wish, may whatever happiness that they have attained not be lost. And then Upeka, the fourth Brahma Vihara, that's equanimity. And the traditional wish for Upeka is all beings have karma as their true property. Or the wish could be things are as they are. 
So among these four Brahma-viharas, metta, loving-kindness, is the basic and general attitude, this very basic general attitude with which we relate to other beings. And as we know, this basic attitude should be one of benevolence, of friendliness, of kindness. And then the other three Brahma-viharas, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, they are more specific. But these three Brahma-viharas, they all build on the basic foundation of having a kind and friendly disposition. So these kind and friendly loving dispositions in all our actions of body, speech, and thoughts. So karuna, that's compassion, and we can say that compassion is metta that encounters suffering or pain or distress. And it is said that the heart, the mind, quivers when it encounters suffering, pain, distress. But compassion does not mean to suffer with the other person or being. But instead of going into the suffering, we really have this sincere wish that the person or the being is relieved from that distress or pain. And this is an important point to understand. So compassion is not a painful mental condition in which we suffer, suffer with the other. On the contrary, compassion is a positive and beneficial mental state. It's open to the suffering of others, but it envisions a way to help the others out of their suffering or pain or distress. And so it's not only the wish that the suffering is relieved, but with compassion in one's heart and mind, one is also willing to go out of one's way and help the other person or being. So it's this willingness to give priority to helping others, and from this, joy, happiness arises. Then mudita, that's sympathetic joy, and this sympathetic joy is metta that encounters happiness or success, wealth or good health. So it's this ability to rejoice in the happiness of somebody else. It's this ability to rejoice in the wealth that somebody has accumulated. Or it's this ability to rejoice in the success of our rival. Now, equanimity, upeka, that's a bit different. It has a different flavor. So upeka is a balanced state of mind, of heart. And this balanced state, it's neither happy and joyful, nor is it distressed and sad. But equanimity, upeka, is not indifference. Equanimity, in its true sense, is based on understanding, the understanding of things as they are, or the understanding of karma and its results. 
which is expressed in this Upeka wish, all beings have karma as their true property, or things are as they are. The classical description of these four qualities, of these four Brahma-viharas in the scriptures, is the attitude a mother has for her four children. So she has a little baby, and so there is metta for her little baby, just a general wish for the well-being and the happiness of her baby. Then there is compassion for the six-year-old child who is sick. So the wish to relieve the suffering of this child. And then there is mudita, sympathetic joy for her teenager who is doing well at school. So then the wish or the rejoicing that he's doing well, and the wish that her son may continue to be successful in his studies. And then there is upeka, or equanimity, for her grown-up child, who is now an adult and lives her own life. So just to allow her daughter to live a life on her own, not interfering with her daughter's life. Bhikkhu Analayo is a German monk who is a great scholar, but at the same time, he is also a very dedicated meditator. And he uses a different analogy for these four Brahma-viharas. So he says, you know, imagine that you live in a cold climate where the sun is experienced as something pleasant and positive. And so he says, metta is like the sun at midday. So the sun shines its rays on all beings without making any kind of distinction. The sun gives warmth and light to all who are receptive to it. The sun is just there radiating its warmth and light. And then compassion, he says, is like the sun at sunset, when darkness is close by. Compassion opens the heart to all the suffering. It opens the heart to all the darkness in the world. So even though the darkness is already quite close by the time when the sun sets, but at that time, the sun shines all the more beautifully coloring the whole sky and shining a warm light on everybody. We know how beautiful it can be at sunset. And then mudita, sympathetic joy, he says, is like sunrise. Early morning, the birds are singing, maybe a few dewdrops on the leaves of a tree. So the sun has just risen, it shines, and it sparkles like a diamond in the light. And like this is the willingness to rejoice in the good fortune of others. So it's an attitude that is completely removed from jealousy or envy. So these three sun images, midday, sunset, early morning, we have images for the more outgoing qualities 
of the first three Brahma-viharas, Metta, Karuna, and Mudita. Now, Upeka, equanimity, Bhikkhu Analayo says, this is more of a standing back, but it's not looking away, it's not indifference. He says, it's an open being there, a holding of the situation with awareness, but without moving towards others and without moving away from others, just allowing them to do or to be just the way they are. And so in this sun simile, equanimity, Upeka, finds its counterpart in the full moon, the full moon which reflects the sunlight. Equanimity is like the beautiful moonlight. The sky is free from clouds. The moon also shines, but not as brightly as the sun. It also gives some warmth, but not as strongly as the sun, because it's a reflection of it. So as I said, metta meditation belongs to the category of samatha meditation, and the purpose of any samatha practice is to develop a calm, tranquil, and concentrated mind. And this deeply concentrated mind, deep concentration, can lead to the jhanas, the absorptions. And yesterday, Sayadaw has talked about the jhanas, the different levels of jhanas, and which jhana factors are present and which one not. One of the advantages of metta meditation as a samatha practice is the fact that we do not only develop concentration on top of the concentration that we develop through this practice, we also cultivate and strengthen loving-kindness. And in the case of the other three Brahma-viharas, on top of the concentration, we also develop and strengthen compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. For example, if we take another object for samatha practice, an object like anapanasati, breathing in and out, or if we take one of the kasinas, these are special devices, discs of a certain color, for example. So then, with that object, we only develop concentration of course, by doing so, we can enjoy all the benefits of a well-concentrated mind. And you know, that's not nothing. <laughs> but with the practice of these four Brahma-viharas, we cultivate and strengthen qualities of the heart and mind which are so important in the whole process of purifying our heart and mind. So these four qualities are so important in the whole process of uh, developing understanding, insight, and wisdom. Or speaking most generally, they are so important in the whole process of liberation. For example, some years ago, I was teaching at the Blue Mountains Meditation Center in Australia. Actually, um, I was teaching together with Aya Viranyani, 
and it was a two-week retreat, and we practiced one week of metta meditation, and then the second week, vipassana meditation. And all the meditators who attended that retreat, they had never practiced so extensively metta meditation. They may have practiced it for an hour or at the end of a vipassana retreat, but never, you know, the way you have been practicing here now, doing it all day long, all night long. So then, after this one week of metta meditation, they switched to vipassana meditation. And for all these meditators, it was really amazing what this one week of metta meditation did. First of all, they noticed that the mind was fairly concentrated. But what was really outstanding for them was the way they approached the vipassana meditation. Many of these meditators said that they were much kinder to themselves and kinder to the difficult experiences um, than they had had usually. They noticed a shift in the heart and mind. So they noticed that they were much kinder, more gentle, that they were less, less judgmental, and that they were much more at ease with the difficult experiences in Vipassana meditation. Some of you are staying on and will change to Vipassana meditation. So then you will see for yourself how beneficial this practice is. But all of you have really come to see and understand how beneficial this metta meditation practice is. You know, it's like the metta moisturizer makes our heart and mind soft and gentle, kind and friendly, loving and caring. And whether we call it metta or whether we call it to have a good heart, the important thing is to embody this quality and live it fully, day in, day out. Here comes another little meta story to, to illustrate that, you know, people have good hearts, sometimes at the most unexpected places or situations. So this happened about one and a half years ago somewhere in the U.S., a number of prisoners were waiting in a room before they had to appear in court. And a security man in uniform was standing in front of the door, and the door had a little window. So all of a sudden, one of the prisoners saw that this guard outside fell on the ground. The prisoners started to shout to catch the attention of somebody to come and uh, look what had happened to the guard. But nobody came, and so they forcefully opened the door. And the prisoner who took the initiative to forcefully open the door had said later, we forcefully opened the door and left our room, although we knew how dangerous it was. Some of us were afraid that the police would come and shoot us. But for me, it was just common sense to help this guard. It didn't matter that he was wearing a uniform and a weapon. He is a good person. 
So finally then, three policemen arrived. Of course, first of all, they thought that the prisoners wanted to escape and that they had knocked down the security guard. But in the end, everything was clarified and the guard soon recovered from his loss of consciousness. Yeah, good hearts can be found everywhere. So now I want to talk about the common ground of Dana, Sila, and Metta, of generosity, virtue, and loving-kindness. The teachings of the Buddha can be summarized with the following verse from the Dhammapada. There it says, to do good, to avoid evil, to purify one's heart and mind. This is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So, very simple statement. It's simple, but not so easy to put into practice. And then questions may arise. You know, what does it mean to do good? What is meant by good? Or how can I, can I avoid evil? Or what do I need to do to purify the heart and mind? Or what is purification? What does that mean? So the Buddha taught many approaches to put the simple instruction into practice. Some of these approaches are to follow the precepts or to lead a virtuous life, the sila aspect. Or another approach is to cultivate the four Brahma-viharas or uh, to practice generosity, dana, or to cultivate the paramis, the perfections, qualities like patience or truthfulness, renunciation or effort, or uh, to practice samatha meditation or practicing vipassana meditation. So among these many approaches that the Buddha taught, I will now pick these three and show how they overlap and complement each other, and how they actually manifest in a very similar way on a practical level. So these three approaches of dana, sila, and metta, of generosity, virtue, and loving-kindness, most of the time they are dealt with separately. However, their practical aim is not really different. All these practices aim at benevolence or friendliness, kindness, and respect for other people and other living beings. So I will start with dana. Dana is the party word for generosity or for the actual deed of giving and sharing. And dana, as the actual giving, is based on the mental disposition of chaga, of the generous disposition of the heart and mind to give and share. And the Buddha often started his talks to newcomers uh, on the topic of dana, because generosity is a universal human quality. And so with that, he met the people on this common ground. 
only when his listeners had understood the importance of giving, then he would proceed to talk about other things, things like virtue or mental training. So dana is such an important foundation for the practice of liberation because it's a first step to learn to let go, to share. Because the whole practice can be described as letting go. For example, letting go of all the defilements, letting go of attachments, letting go of wrong views, letting go of all unwholesome mental states, and then to replace them with right views, with beneficial mental states. So with the practice of dana, generosity, we learn to let go of material things. So we learn to let go of things we give away or we share. And then with this, we can experience that giving and sharing actually brings joy to our heart and mind. And we understand that by giving, we do not become poorer, but by being generous, we actually become richer. I must say that it was here in Burma that I learned so much about generosity. You know, in worldly terms, Switzerland is considered to be one of the richest country uh, on earth. And Burma is considered to be one of the poorest countries. However, what I found of practicing and living here this was really quite surprising for me. Although the majority of Burmese people are considered to be poor, they are very rich in terms of being generous. And when realizing their generosity, I had to admit that most of the Burmese people were much richer than me in terms of being generous. And I must say, this was quite humbling for me. But I also noticed that living in such a culture and society where um, being generous is um, such a lift quality, I realized that it was also quite infectious. So I got the jhana, not the dana bug. <laughs> so with time, I started to become more generous because yeah, I saw it and I witnessed it almost on a daily basis that giving is such an important activity in a Burmese per people's person's life. And that is such a, a joyful, uh, thing to do, that it brings so much happiness. Of course, the practice of dana, generosity, not only applies to material things. One can also give or share one's time or one's skills. And it also applies to the Dhamma itself. The, the Buddha taught the Dhamma freely to anyone who was interested. And he said many times that the Dhamma is priceless and that it is more valuable than uh, precious stones. And this practice of making the Dhamma freely available to anyone, this practice is still maintained here in Burma. All the meditation centers, all the nunneries, all the monasteries, they are established and maintained by donations from lay people. 
You know, people donate, for example, a piece of land, and then they donate a building or part of a building. They donate ropes for the nuns, for the monks, or they offer money to pay the bill for the electricity, and so on. During the first Metta retreat here, Sayadaw shortly mentioned that this center here is here because of the generosity of many people. And anyone can come here and practice meditation. And then at the end of their meditation stay, people usually give a donation to the center and to the teacher. And those who have more money give more. Those who have less money give less. So having practiced meditation for many years here in this country, and with that penetrating deeper into the Buddha's teaching, I really want to continue this tradition of making the Dhamma freely available for anyone who is interested. Sometimes meditators ask at the end of a retreat how much they have to pay for the teachings. And when I hear such a question, I'm always irritated because this question, how much to pay for the teachings, this is simply not in line with the original teaching of the Buddha. The Dhamma should never become a commodity that one can buy. It is not something with a fixed price. But then some people wonder how a lay teacher can survive in the West, like in countries like Switzerland or the US. But well, it is possible. You know, without um, putting me in the limelight, but I'm a lay teacher and I can live. <laughs> and, you know, all my Dhamma teacher friends in Switzerland and the American Dhamma teacher friends I have, they also teach on a pure dana base, and they all can live a normal life. Of course, it's not an extravagant life with yearly holidays on the Maldives and an expensive membership card in the trendiest gym and spa of town. And actually, none of my friends nor myself would even think of wanting to do something like that. And Ayaviranyani has pointed out that in California, in Redwood City, there is actually a meditation center, the Inside Meditation Center, which runs entirely on donations and on voluntary people. So nobody who lives, works there, gets a salary. It's all done by donations. So even the center runs on donation and of course, teachings as well. So this shows it's possible to maintain this dana principle in the West. So coming back to the practice of generosity. Generosity could also be called metta in action. So we manifest our benevolence and our wish for others to be happy and well with a generous deed. Then, going on to sila. Sila is the Pali word for virtue or ethical conduct. 
and it refers to the actions of body and speech in relation to other living beings. And the Buddha had defined virtuous conduct like this. Wholesome bodily actions, wholesome verbal actions, and purification of livelihood. These are called wholesome actions or habits. So virtuous conduct is behavior that does not hurt and harm anybody, doesn't hurt and harm others nor ourselves. And this virtuous conduct is actually based on common sense. Like in the same way as I do not want to be hurt, I should not hurt others. In the same way, I don't want to be offended, I should not offend anybody else. In the same way, I want that others tell the truth, I should tell and speak the truth. Or in the same way, as I do not want to be sexually abused, I should not sexually abuse others. So in short, we should treat others the way we want to be treated by others. Namely, respectful, friendly, honest, patient, or accepting. But we know many people live under the strong influence of greed and aversion, and they are based on ignorance. And as a result, their actions of body and speech are fueled by these harmful and unwholesome mental states. And as we know, then, the result is devastating. Women are raped, ethnic minorities are cleansed, animals are killed, banks are robbed, drunken drivers cause fatal accidents, and so on. So sila, virtue, is both the base and the result of our practice. So initially, people follow these precepts because they recognize that they are a skillful frame for the purification of heart and mind. But later on, one no longer needs this outer frame. Based on personal and direct understanding of our practice, then people no longer want to engage in such harmful or unskillful behavior. Lama Anagarika Govinda was a German monk. He was a student of Venerable Nyanati Loka, another German monk who lived in Sri Lanka. So Lama Anagarika Kovinda, he said, for a Buddhist, virtue is the practical expression of his level of understanding. Virtue is not the cause, but the effect of our attitude. So sila, virtue, is also a very important part of the whole practice. And this is reflected in the fact that sila, virtue, is part of the Noble Eightfold Path. Among these eight factors of the path, three belong to the group of sila, namely right action, right speech, and right livelihood. So the Buddha knew and clearly recognized that complete liberation is not possible without virtuous behavior. 
And this is why he integrated this very important aspect of our life into the path. And so with this, we should understand that the practice does not only consist of intensive meditation retreats or decades of seclusion in a cave. We have to integrate all aspects of life into our practice. As I said, sila, virtue, is our behavior as we relate to other people, to other living beings. So sila is a re relational practice. Being virtuous, we do not want to harm, harm and hurt others. Being virtuous, we want to help and assist others. And as I also mentioned in one of my previous talks, also metta is a relational practice because metta also happens on a relational level, relations with people, with other beings. And as we wish them to be happy and well, so then our behavior is one of not harming and not hurting. As we know, metta um, manifests on three levels. We have also talked about this kayakama metta. Metta manifested in the body, in bodily actions. Vachikama metta, metta manifested in speech. And manokama metta, metta manifested in the mind. And when we engage in metta meditation practice, we cultivate this quality of benevolence and loving kindness on the mental level. And this is very, very important because all the physical actions, all the verbal expressions have their origin in the mind. So first, it, the, the metta, attitude must be strongly embedded in the heart, in the mind. And then from there, it must be manifested in our body and speech. And so then we call it metta as a physical action and metta as a verbal expression. So now, about the common ground of dana, sila, and metta. So with these reflections on dana, on sila, and on metta, it becomes obvious that all these three approaches aim at a respectful and benevolent behavior. The approaches are somehow different, but on the practical level, the, the result manifests as the same benevolent attitude. You know, in the dana approach, generosity, we all would like to be supported whenever we need it or we all would appreciate to get things that bring joy and are helpful. And likewise, we help others in one way or another so that their hardships can either be relieved or that their happiness and joy can increase. So the dana approach is a specific expression of metta. And the highest gift, the highest dana one can actually give is the gift of fearlessness, the gift of truth and honesty, which can be done 
by living a virtuous life. So in the sila approach, like we want that others do not harm us, likewise we should not harm others. And this is evident the way the precepts are formulated. For example, you know, the first precept, it says, I undertake the precept to refrain from killing and harming living beings. So explicitly, it is stated what I should not do. So not to kill or harm. But implicitly, it means that I, that I train myself to protect living beings, that I protect them from being killed or harmed. And so this implicit aspect of sila is nothing other than an expression of metta, an expression of benevolence and kindness for all beings, the wish that they can live happily and peacefully, or the wish that they do not lose their wealth or good health. And the five basic precepts, they are also called the five great gifts. As I said, it's offering fearlessness, trust, and honesty. And so, the five great gifts, that's dana, generosity. Then the metta approach, we know metta is based on the heart's quality of loving-kindness, friendliness, unconditional love. So, as we want to be happy, we understand that others want to be happy as well. And so, when we wish others to be happy and well too, then we do not hurt them, we do not harm them. And when this quality of metta is deeply anchored in our heart and mind, then we naturally refrain from all bodily actions and speech that uh, inflict suffering or harm. So with metta, the explicit wish is that all beings be happy and well. And so as a result, on the implicit level, we do not do anything that could hurt or harm others. We do not do anything that could cause suffering to others. So see, um, in this way, we see that dana and sila, generosity and virtue, are expressions of metta, of loving kindness. And metta is also an expression of dana and sila. And so understanding this, we see how interconnected these different approaches are. So whether we lay stress on dana, on generosity, or whether we lay stress on sila, virtue, or whether we lay stress on metta, loving kindness, the other practices are always included as well. I want to end this talk with a quote of the 17th Karmapa, a high-ranking monk in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition. From the time we open our eyes in the morning until we sleep at night, if we can pass the whole day with a kind and loving heart and a cheerful face, our mind will be relaxed when we go to sleep at night. On the other hand, 
if we spend the day making others upset, if we fight, and even if we win, when we are going off to sleep at night, we will have regrets and our mind will not be at ease. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.